This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market, and I have a good episode for you guys today. We're talking about shorting the market, getting a better understanding what it means to short the market, plus whether or not it's best to use ETFs, like inverse ETFs, for shorting the market or just shorting an index just plain outright. And for this episode, this gentleman asks to be called Cowboy. That's his nickname out in the Midwest where he is from. He writes, Ryan, I have a few questions for you. I'm new to trading, just started this summer taking an interest in the stock market. Just as a side note, having just started this summer in the stock market, the worst market that he has seen so far is essentially the sell-offs in September and October. He goes on to say, I learned very quickly that I have no idea what I'm doing and have made many costly mistakes. Since then, I started doing a lot of research on the stock market and stumbled upon your podcast. It has taught me a lot, and I'm very appreciative of the information you have provided. I have binge listened to all 211 episodes. And for those keeping track, this one here is just 212. And I've also joined the trading block. Everything you have discussed about the emotions, doubling down, serial killer trading, holding through the earnings, not using stop losses, I have done those things. Not real proud of it either. But you have helped me with the discipline, patience, and the psychological aspect of trading. I don't want to give up. And thanks to you, I'm going to hang in there. Let me just say too, folks... I've come across so many traders over the years that they really don't give it ample time to play out to see whether or not they're going to be successful in the stock market. And I often wonder how many people could have been really good traders if they had just given themselves more time. I mean, you think about if you want to be a surgeon or if you want to be a lawyer or you want to be anything that requires a skill, it takes time. And if trading was easy, everybody would be doing it. I mean, there is a lot of people doing it right now, but most people are not successful. They're just blowing money. But all those people are blowing money or being discouraged by perhaps their recent results. They'll throw their hands up in the air, say the market's rigged, and walk away from it and never come back. Rather than just trying to learn and trying to embrace more, I mean, it's not going to come easy. It's a struggle to become a good trader. And the part of this podcast is to kind of smooth the edges a little bit to make it easier for you to become a better trader. But it still doesn't mean it's going to be overall an easy experience. You're going to have your ups and downs. Cowboy goes on to say, I am a small business owner in the manufacturing industry, a small machine shop to be exact. Over the past year and a half, I have watched the government print more money than Carter has pills. That's an old saying that I've heard my dad say for years. Well, I got to be honest. I've never heard that saying in my life. I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind, though, because who knows at a cocktail party or somewhere else, I'll be able to use that to illustrate something crazy going on. But from what I've witnessed... All this money printing has led to the most of the employment problems and inflation. 
Jerome Powell can say what he wants, but this was never transitory. I've been seeing inflation all year long with costs of goods and material and no end in sight all going up. All the spending will have to be reconciled at some point and the American people who pay for it through higher or new taxes. The point I am getting at, from what I've learned, I don't think that the future looks too bright for the bulls. Manufacturing generally goes in seven to nine year economic growth spurts before having a few bad years and things have been going pretty good since 2012, which would be about nine years. To me, observing all that is going on, I can see repercussions from the past year and a half. I've been following your technical analysis and stock market, and there have been a lot of chatter about shorting the market. I've been researching the short selling, but could you explain a little bit more in depth about shorting, how to short, the risks involved in shorting, and possibly shorting versus investing into ETFs like the trade PSQ that we were in not too long ago? By the way, I'm still in PSQ because my stop loss never triggered. That's another question I have. How does that happen? That's the second time that I've had a stop loss not trigger. Well, for those not in the trading block, that was a trade setup that was taken, I don't know, probably a couple of weeks ago. It actually did not work out, but it was stopped out. So I'll talk about why it might not have stopped out for some people versus others. Anyways, maybe you'll find this email podcast worthy. And if you do, please make sure to call me Cowboy. Thanks for taking the time and putting in the effort to help us rookie traders. By the way, I'm not a Robin Hood bro. Thanks, Cowboy. That's a lot to unpack, don't you think? And we'll get into all that and more. But first, what am I drinking? Well, I am drinking Heaven's Doors Double Barrel Whiskey. It's one of those two that's by another music singer. You've probably heard of him, Bob Dylan. And I could have sworn I've already reviewed this one, but I went through all my notes from all my previous podcasts, could not find a trace of the bourbon. And the guy who edits these for me, you know, he keeps a spreadsheet for me, and I always appreciate that. And I could not find this bourbon anywhere, and I've had it forever. But Heaven's Door Double Barrel Whiskey has a little bit of like a rustic taste, like if you were working the steel mill in the 1930s and you went to a local pub or bar afterwards, you'd probably grab something like this from the 1930s. From a taste standpoint, it's got a little bit of spice in it. It lacks a little bit of a punchiness. I mean, if you're going to go for a double barrel whiskey, I would go for Woodford Reserves. I mean, that that's probably one of the best one that you'll come across, especially for the price. If I'm just looking for a general bourbon that's going to be a little bit cheaper than this one, I would probably go with Old Forester Statesman. I think it's better. It tastes better. This one here, I can't really give better than a 5.7, which is a huge disappointment because this is one that a lot of people talk about, but it just doesn't perform for me. It just doesn't. Now, I wouldn't call it an everyday sipper. Again, if I was to use an everyday sipper and I needed a double barrel whiskey, I would go with Woodford Reserve or a cheaper version, but a higher rated whiskey would have been Old Forester Statesman. I think that's a better one. 5.7, just hard to make that one considering the price in Everyday Sipper. And again, there's nothing significantly wrong with it. It just doesn't impress. And before I forget, make sure you go to swingtradingthestockmarket.com to support this podcast. You'll get all of my daily market research. That's going to include my daily watch lists. Also, my weekly master watch list that I provide at the beginning of each week, plus Updates on all the FANG stocks, the S&P 500, NASDAQ, and Russell 2000. So check that out, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. And back to Cowboy's questions here. One of the things, and it wasn't really a question, but it was more of an outlook on the economy. You want to make sure that you don't try to tie together the economy and the stock market. And even more so, you want to make sure that you don't try to tie together your political outlook with the stock market either. And the reason why I say that, remember after Bush left office and then Obama became president, I said, man, good luck with that one. We're coming out of the Great Recession. 
I don't see much hope for this market being able to hold up for another four years before we get a recession. I mean, that's going to be rough for him to try to hold up the economy going into a second term. Well, lo and behold, the market just kept skyrocketing the first four years of his presidency. You go into the second term thinking, no way he can keep this bull market running until 2016. Well, we go from 2012 to 2016 election. Market's up still. Then Trump becomes president. And I'm thinking to myself, no way Trump can keep this bull market running for another four years. And yes, you did still have the COVID sell-off back in March of 2020. But overall, the market performed great during his presidency. And then, of course, you get to Biden. And here I find myself again saying, no way this market can last all four years under the Biden administration. And the jury's still out on that. But the first year we're into it, the S&P 500's up pretty good. The Nasdaq's up pretty good as well. So my economic outlook doesn't always match up with what the stock market wants to do. And it's not going to be the same for you. So it's always important to keep those two separated because you can have some crazy things go on in the economy and yet the market still performs. And it almost does sometimes exact opposite of what you think it should do. The one thing that I would probably tie in from an economic standpoint is what the Fed does because you don't want to fight the Fed because usually what the Fed does is what the market will follow. So interest rates are low and the Fed's keeping them low. The market's probably going to rally. If they're tightening rates and interest rates are going up, the market's probably going to sell off and it's not going to be a favorable trade environment. The last time we saw the Fed attempt to taper was 2018, quarter four. They also started raising interest rates. We had like a 30% sell-off. That was pretty crazy. So the old saying of don't fight the Fed, it rings very true. And that's probably the biggest thing that I would follow from a long-term standpoint is the direction that the Fed's providing. But you can... Worry about the manufacturing being an issue, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the market's going to show that in the price of stocks. Now, do I think the market's overbought, due for a correction, due for even a recession? Yeah, I do. And I think it would be good for stocks if we could get a 5, 10, even 20% pullback in stocks because it's going to provide an incredible opportunity of new long positions, both from an investment standpoint and a swing trading standpoint to take advantage of. The best opportunities comes out of a major market pullback. And for a lot of us, we've never really seen a true inflationary environment. I would say the last time that happened was the 1970s. I wasn't around then. And so the inflation can cause some headaches for the stock market, which is what we're already seeing over the past week, week and a half or so in the market as a whole. So be careful, and I'm speaking to Cowboy here, of how much you try to tie together your political and economic outlook with the stock market, because even if there is a correlation there, the timing might be off. The economy might be souring, but it might not be until months and months later before you actually see the stock market do the same. And Cowboy also asks about shorting the stock market. And I have this illustration, and if you already know what shorting the market is or have a firm understanding of it, I wouldn't say just fast forward through this because there's actually a good illustration that I'll provide. And people will ask you in the future, what does it mean to short stocks? I get it all the time just from talking with friends and family. And you can use this illustration. I always think about it this way. Your friend has this pair of sunglasses. They're worth $100. And you go up to him and you're like, hey, can I borrow those sunglasses? And he says, sure, man. And he gives you the sunglasses. Well, you're wearing them. You're probably going to keep them for like three or four weeks. But then you have a friend too, doesn't know the guy that you borrowed them from. And he says, hey, can I buy those sunglasses off of you? I like those. And you're like, yeah, sell it to you for $100. So you sell it to him for $100, knowing good well that you kind of owe somebody a pair of sunglasses still. Your close friend, you still owe him a pair. And three weeks comes up and, well, you're going to need to get him a pair of sunglasses. Well, 
you're able to find a brand new pair on the internet for $50. You're like, man, this is good. I'm going to go ahead and buy these. You go ahead and buy them and give them back to your friend. Your friend's happy as can be. He got his sunglasses back and then you sold his previous sunglasses to some other guy for $100, bought back an identical pair for $50 and everybody went home happy and you made $50 off of it in the process. And that's the same thing as stocks. You're borrowing the shares from your broker. You're selling them immediately to some random Joe Schmo out in the stock market. But at some point, you got to return those shares to your broker. And before that happens, you want that stock that you just sold, that you had borrowed, to drop in value so that you can return it to them and you can make a profit and everybody goes home happy. But on the flip side, let's say that you borrowed the sunglasses and you didn't realize it, but they ended up becoming an instant classic and nobody could find them anywhere hardly without paying a premium. And all of a sudden they're worth $150. Well, then you got to go back and buy them at $150 and return them to your friend. And you just lost $50 because you sold it to your other friend originally for $100, but had to buy them back from somewhere else at $150 premium just to make sure you settle your debt with your other friend. And that can happen the same way. I mean, stocks can go up after you short them, obviously. And then when you're buying back or when you're covering, you might be covering at a higher price and you're going to lose money that way. Or it would be even worse, you know, those sunglasses, they become a antique of priceless value. And then you just wipe yourself out trying to get that pair of sunglasses back to your friend. I mean, if a stock gets bought out when you're shorting the stock, you're going to pay a huge premium. You might pay 60, 70% premium on a stock that's getting bought out. So that's the best way to explain it. And of course, too, you have to have a margin account and you're going to be charged interest from the broker for borrowing those shares. Even though you're borrowing shares and not money, you're still borrowing. So they're going to charge you for the value of those shares interest. And of course, there's always taxes too, but we'll leave that out for the simplicity of explaining what shorting is. Now, he also asks another good question here. He says, why do you oftentimes trade an inverse ETF like PSQ instead of just shorting QQQ? And I also dealt with SPY. Instead of shorting SPY, I'll buy SH. It's a one-to-one inverse ETF. You can also do three-to-one inverse ETFs. You can do like UPRO, UPRO. You can do 2X ETFs like QLD and QID on the NASDAQ 100, TNA and TZA, which is a three-to-one ultra on the Russell or the IWM. So there's a lot of options there, but I usually choose to do one-to-one inverse ETS because it also allows me to keep the risk tight. And if I want to increase my short exposure, I'll just buy more inverse ETFs. I don't necessarily have to start off with two-to-one or three-to-one unless the reward-to-risk ratio is really ideal. But there's benefits too to getting long on them because ETS, they reset every day. So if you short a stock, you say, and I know SPY doesn't trade at $100, but for the simplicity of this example, let's say SPY is trading at $100 and there's this major market crash and it goes from $100 over a course of a few months down to $50. Well, SPY is down 50%. And let's say it drops from $50 to $49. Well, if you're shorting SPY, you really just made a 1%, even though the market dropped that day 2% because it's so far down you're not really getting the same bang for your buck. Just like when you buy a stock at 100 and it goes up to 200 and it goes up 1% to 202, it's like you just made 2%, not 1% because of your cost basis. So the cost basis changes everything. So when you're buying the inverse ETFs, in that particular example with the SPY where it goes from 50 down to 49, your inverse ETF 
will have made 2% and not just 1% because it resets every day. So it's going to reflect what it does that particular day in the market. And because of compounding and everything over time, you're probably even making more than that when considering your cost basis. Now, there are some downfalls to use an inverse ETS, and that is there's a time decay element on them. As time goes on, there is some time decay that will hit you, and it'll hit you even faster if you're using something like a 3-to-1 or a 2-to-1 inverse ETF, which is also a reason why I so often will just stick with the 1-to-1 inverse ETFs. So the takeaway in all of this, one, don't let your political and economic outlooks cloud your decision-making when it comes to the stock market because all three of those things, the political, the stock market, and the economic outlooks, while there may be some correlation, are all separate from each other. Second thing is to remember the differences between shorting an index outright versus just buying the inverse ETF of that index. Remember, there's an element of time decay. Remember, there's also the opportunity to compound your money faster by using the inverse ETFs rather than shorting the market. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd encourage you to leave me a five-star review. Man, those things really help me out, guys. I can't tell you how appreciative I am for you guys doing that. That means so much to me. Also, make sure to support the podcast, swingtradingthestockmarket.com. You're going to get all sorts of good market research by going there. And if you have any questions, please keep sending me your questions. Brian at shareplanner.com. I do read them all, and I try to put every one of them into its own episode. So keep sending them to me. Thank you, guys, and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to SharePointer.com slash trading block. That's www.SharePointer.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.